Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of That's Entertaining. An edition that is for sure being recorded on the proper microphone because Apple just does not like when I say, whenever this microphone is present, use it. Sometimes, like last episode, it likes to default to the onboard mic. So hopefully this sounds better, and we apologize for the quality last week. It's just Pacific Rim. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it met the expectations of the movie, I think, the quality of the audio, so it wasn't that big of a loss, but at least you, if you were so inclined to listen to the whole episode using that horrible audio quality, uh, you could, so, choose? You lost me. <laughs> I lost your Pacific Rim, didn't I? <laughs> yep. I tuned out. There you go. Before we get into the meat and potatoes this week, the movie... Yeah, you can't even talk. I was up at 2 a.m. because... Okay, last night I was busy until late, and I was like, okay, I need to watch Cloverfield, because that's the movie we're discussing today. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, swing by Starbucks, get myself a trip... Actually, quadruple shot. Uh, caramel... No, butterscotch... Smoked mochaccino. Orange mochaccino. <laughs> uh, a smoked butterscotch latte. So I could stay awake and be, you know, cognizant of the movie. Because I was looking forward to watching it, but I was, I was getting tired. Right. So got that, and I was wide awake. Watched a movie. It was shorter than I expected. I was expecting a couple hours. And I was like, well, I'm still wide awake. So then I started watching... Um, a movie, or not a movie, a show called Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three 63 on Hulu. Mm, I saw previews for that. Yeah, it's, so, I watched the first episode a couple days ago, and then watched the second episode last night. That is a tense show, too. It is interesting. It is executive produced, I believe, by Stephen King and J.J. Abrams. Nice. It has an odd story. So, the premise is... James Franco, who's actually doing a really good job acting in the show. Like, mm-hmm. he is not acting like James Franco. So, pretty compelling on, on his acting, by the way. But it's like 2016 in the timeline, and he finds a way back in time. And he's going back in time. His ultimate goal is to prevent the assassination of Kennedy. Okay. But you can't just go back in time to any, any point. You have to go back to 1960. And Kennedy, I think, was assassinated in 64, 63, mm-hmm. thus 11, 22, 63. That must have been the day of the assassination. Yeah. So he ha- he has to wait three years for the assassination to happen. So up into this point, I think it's still 1960, so he's got like three years to wait before it, you know, he can stop it. He's doing a, like a little research to figure out what's going on, and it's really interesting. I don't want to spoil anything. But it's an eight-part show, and two parts are up. It's releasing week by week on Monday, which I tweeted Hulu yesterday afterwards, and I was like, guys, seriously, we are a binge-watching culture now. We really are. You gotta release this, because it's a cool, compelling story. I will sing its praises if I like the complete story, but I don't like being strewn along. I understand it being done for TV purposes, because TV, you have a specific block of shows, advertising, all this other stuff. Hulu, we've already paid for it. Essentially. Right. Because we're subscribing. And it's released the whole season at a time, right? It's releasing one episode at a time. Oh, it's releasing one episode at a time? Oh, my. And it's a Hulu original. So Hulu's making it. Mm -hmm. They can just release the whole thing. But I don't... 
I don't know why they don't. Because I love how you know, we'll experience this twice next month with House of Cards, I think the fourth season now, coming to Netflix. The whole season's going to drop on the second Friday, or first Friday of March, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end of the month, Daredevil is dropping the whole season. Yep. So that's how you do it. You're going to get a bigger splash. More people are going to talk about it. Yep. And you'll get a higher you know, Twitter or social media and mention, and people will be like, oh, what is this? And they'll watch it, and they'll spread the word. Because if you have just an episode at a time that you release, you get people like, oh, that's cool. But they'll forget about it. Right. Honestly, I did forget about it until I was looking like, oh, this is, I could watch this. If I could watch the whole thing, I think it'd be a better experience, for one thing, and I would talk more about it. So do you think on Hulu's part that this is a a strategy to kind of keep in line with them being more of a TV show, current type thing, and in, in lines with, like, next day TV is is their mantra, right? Yeah. Is it keeping in line with that, or is it kind of a marketing strategy on the point is, if we release this, you know, is it one show a week? Is that their schedule? Yeah. If we release this one show a week, that's two months. So that's every subscriber has to pay for an additional month if they want to see just that one show. I'm- but... But you at know, the same time, shows. you just wait until they're all out, and then you subscribe to it and binge it anyway. Right. But it's like you and me, we're both subscribers to Hulu for other reasons, too. This is just a, a show that came out that looks compelling, right. and it is so far. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I don't follow the logic at all, because it's exactly like you said. I would just wait until the show's out and then binge watch it all. And yeah. you pay for the one month. Yeah, exactly. Or you can do a trial, honestly, yeah. for seven days or mm-hmm. whatever they do, yeah. and watch the whole thing. Because you know it's gonna, the content's going to remain on there because it's a Hulu original. Right. So I don't understand the strategy behind that yeah maybe they think they can get more excitement and suspense out of it if they wait that week i don't uh, want to wait two months yeah though. like we don't we're to the point now as a tv watching culture nobody and i won't say nobody our demographic our age late 20s early 20s 30s whatever we're cable cutters right mm-hmm. we don't subscribe to a lot of tv much anymore that's kind of the older generation yeah so we are doing Netflix. We are doing Hulu. We are doing Amazon Prime. We're doing the piecemeal stuff, whatever we want to have, so that we can have that content available on our phones, mm-hmm. on our laptops, on our TVs. Because, I mean, my TV has my Xbox controlling everything, right? right. So I do have my antenna hooked up there so I can watch sports stuff and mm-hmm. news. That's it. Everything else is an app. Right. We want it. Exactly when we want to watch it, we don't want to do any work for it to get the content. Not necessarily. I will do work. I will do like Star Wars Rebels. Have I talked about this? How? This, yes. Okay. The, the Amazon thing. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just Amazon. It was everybody. So Disney right. made this decision. Yeah, I'd more have a beef with Disney about that, and and the the content is you know all controlled by Disney, but. I, you know, just me personally, and I, and I I know I can probably speak for a lot of people out there, if it's not on Netflix or Hulu or wherever else I'm subscribing at the time, I'm not watching it. So, question for you then. Shoot. Because a lot of these movies that we've gone through and watched, how do you consume them? If you don't already have them or... How, what, what is your process? Okay, we're watching Cloverfield this week. What's your process? Luckily, I have a wide movie library, so a lot of these movies I already have, right? For the but let's ones, say it's one that you don't. For the one that I don't, it's simple. I, I go on Google Play, <laughs> I rent the movie for two ninety nine, and I can watch it on whatever device I want. 
So that make it easy for you. Yeah, it's super easy. And you know what? I also have the opinion survey app that Google releases. And so they release it. They have a, a survey app. Basically, mm-hmm. you just take surveys as they come in. And they give you free rentals and they give you they give you money. They give you money to use in the Google Play Store. So what is this again? Yeah. <laughs> I got to sign up Seriously. for it. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, because of my... An, is, it, is it Android? Is It's Android. I don't so know if it's, it's Android only, but it's... What's it called? Called Google Opinion Survey. Here, I can pull it up to get the exact name. I just Like, I just did a survey today. I got, like, 27 cents, right? And, and it, it seems stupid. I mean, it's... But... I would prefer that because this is a whole another discussion. Marketing, mm-hmm. people who like you go to Best Buy or something like that, and you get, we would like a, your opinion on the website experience. No, yeah, I'll, I'll, I might give you money for buying a product, but if you don't give me an incentive, right, to take a survey, what? Well, I, I don't want to. And this is really ingenious of Google to do this, right? Because they're getting customer data for little to no cost to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the cost it pays is, for itself. It does. It really does. And I'll More tell you really. what: we how long have we been doing this? We've been, I don't know how many movies you and I have done together. I've had to rent maybe like four or five of these along the way. Haven't paid for a single one because I've been answering these surveys. So I mean, but again, the content is right there. I just type it in Google Play Movies, rent, watch, done. I'm not going anywhere. What's an example of the survey questions they ask you? Um, you know, have you been to any of these places recently or a lot of them? Then they list like four or five different... Like websites or actual physical no, locations? No, uh, brick and mortar stores, okay. like, you know, restaurants or uh, shopping stores. Um, most of them are like that. Some of them are a little bit different. It's a lot about your shopping habits, spending habits. Uh, so it's like, it's like, I've been to Red Lobster. You know, when was the last time you were here in person? What was your experience like? And you just rate it from, you know, one to five stars. That's it. Hmm. Takes five seconds of my time, twenty-seven cents. Keep that until the next time I have to rent a movie. So probably what's happening is Darden, who owns Red Lobster, mm-hmm. is probably paying Google for their insights, and they're going and they're asking you, "Hey, when's the last time you went here?" What? That is ingenious. It so is ingenious. Darden's paying who knows how much to get this information. And how many subscribers or, or users does Google have? Millions. They yeah. can they can reach everybody with one survey. It's ingenious. Man, we missed the boat on this for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. But anyway, that's how I watch the movies. I mean, on the and, off it's chance, easy. it's super easy. And on the off chance that I don't have enough in my account, or I don't have the movie, who cares? I'll put a dollar, you know, or whatever the difference is, or two ninety nine of my own money towards it to just watch the movie real quick. I'm, I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to work at all. It's just right there. Yeah. So that's the culture that we live in. It is. Right? Everything, because of the internet. Mm-hmm. Everything is instant. Everything is right. available now. You don't really have to wait on it. I mean, I remember back in the inception of the internet, not the inception, but like early days, you know, dial-up modems, how we used to wait for one thing to download, mm-hmm. like a, a movie trailer. Like I remember the Star Wars Episode One trailer, I think, was one of the first things that I downloaded, and it took like overnight to do. Yeah. But now you click on it, done. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's how it should be. If this technology is available to us, we should be able to retrieve this content in the same manner. Quick, fast, simple, mm-hmm. right? So I don't really understand these strategies anymore because, I mean, I'm sure you have your one-off shows. It's like shows. the old thought. Yeah, I'm sure you have your one-off shows like, let's say, The Walking Dead is an example, right? People will wait for that 
episode to come out, mm-hmm. and then you'll get a lot of reception. But let's not forget that when Walking Dead first came out, it was actually received very poorly on, on AMC. And it wasn't until it dropped the first and second seasons on Netflix. Netflix that it really started to gain a following. Mm-hmm. That's how you have to build your customer, especially for these new TV shows or these original shows. That's an incentive for Hulu to say, come subscribe to us because this is our TV show. You will not get it anywhere else. Or what they could do is if you pay for So you have the, the basic Hulu. Mm-hmm. Subscription for like eight bucks or whatever it is, right. and I pay the premium. Yeah, for I no commercials. Too. For no commercials, it's so worth it. If we pay the premium, drop the whole season. Another incentive to entice your subscribers to Google. I mean Hulu. Call us. We got ideas for you. We do. How many good ideas? This, this <laughs> is why I really need to be just podcasted twenty four seven. Because how many good ideas do you think anybody has in any given day? That you just forget about along the way. You oh, yeah. say something so profound or something that's a really good idea, forget about it. That's just how, so Hulu how, needs to be listening. Instantaneous here. access, instantaneous forget. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same thing. So anyway, uh, going back to the show, it's it's pretty interesting so far. Two episodes in, uh, I will continue to watch it probably until completion. It's only eight episodes, mm-hmm. but uh, other than that, I've been playing Forza Motorsport Six. That's such a good game. It's gorgeous, beautiful. I, I, it was one of the games that I bought back before I did my hiatus. Mm-hmm. So I finally got a chance to play it, open it up, and just I forgot how much I enjoy the Forza games because they control so good. Yeah, I mean it's consistently good. Like Forza Five was was great for the time. It was a little lacking in content. Forza 6 has all the content. Right. And even better. And it has weather effects now, which are really interesting. That's cool. I mean, I know there's not a ton of racing. Like, racing fans, I'm sure, do not make up the biggest of the Xbox demographic, but they have the best platform on Xbox with the Sforza game for racing fans because you can do a lot of cool tuning, modification to your cars. And the game itself is, I mean, I wouldn't say it's flawless. But it's pretty close. And they must have a big enough base and interest in the Forza games because Forza keeps producing games, mm-hmm. right? And consistent games, good quality games. And basically, I mean, if you name another racing game, let's say Need for Speed, oh, that's, that's trash horrible. now. And everybody yeah. knows it. And it's arcadey. Right. But and if I want arcadey, I'll do, I'll do Forza Horizon because those are amazing. And they're open world. Well, that's what I'm saying. Those games have... They're dominating the market right now in racing, mm-hmm. and they've crippled almost every other. That's what happens when you have a small group of you know racing fans. So, I mean, hats off to Forza. It's good. I recommend Forza. Forza Five if you can get it for cheap. Forza Six. If, I mean, even if you if thirty bucks, I've seen it on sale consistently. Forza Six. Are they still doing the Forza Fast and Furious content that you can download for free? It's not free anymore. It's like five bucks. Okay, five bucks to try it out. See what you think. That's yeah. a great trial run. And and that's really cool too because it was really an in, a marketing again, an ingenious marketing move because they released that a couple weeks I think before Fast and Furious Seven came out. Yep. Or sorry, Furious Seven came out. And it just has a lot of the cars from the from the movie, and it has Ludacris giving you the missions. Yep. And just, it's high octane stuff that's happening. And it got a lot of people to take a look at Forza Horizon 2 because it was Forza Horizon 2 Presents the Fast and the Furious. Right. And it was released free at first for two weeks. And then it went pay. But, man. But only $5. And, I mean, 
if, you, if there are any racing fans out there, maybe the old Need for Speed games that were actually pretty good, this one... Project Gotham Racing was another good one, too, that Xbox had. And then PlayStation used to be, like, the top yeah. with their Gran Turismo series. Yeah. But this Fast and Furious one is all about, you know, collecting cars, working your way up the, the blacklist, just like that Need for Speed Most Wanted game back in the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. that was a really good game, in my opinion. That was one of my favorite racing games, right? Yeah. This was, you know, updated, obviously, but very similar in terms of what you have to do, what your missions are, and things like that. And I have Horizon 2 yeah. because of that game. And when... So I would say if you are curious about getting into the Xbox racing stuff, mm-hmm. if you have an Xbox One, seek out the Fast and Furious game because it's super cheap, if not free. Again, I don't know. Yeah. But if you like that, you can play through it in a couple hours and actually complete it and get, yep. like, a full 1,000 gamer score. And then if you want to go further, check out Forza Horizon 2 because it is that, but expanded, like, a million-fold. Yeah. It's so big, so massive. And if you like that and you would say, man, I, I want to do more racing, I want to do more modification with cars, I want to do some more track racing, then step into Forza Motorsport 6. That is where, if you're more geared towards a simulation style, in Forza, mm-hmm. that the motorsport series is where you want to be. If you want to be more, a little more arcadey, but still really good in quality, the Horizon series. Right, and it's a win-win situation, right? Because if you try that Fast and Furious game for five dollars, you want more. That money is going to be put to good use because you know what type of game you're getting. Mm-hmm. It's and like a you, rental at that point. Yeah, and if you don't, who cares? You lost five bucks. Mm-hmm. It's better and, than losing sixty. Exactly, and I mean, I don't know how many times I've. 20, okay, so I've, I've used this example before, but there was a game that came out called The Escapists, mm-hmm. which I read about, and I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. I pre-ordered it. I never do pre-ordering on any digital game. I just never do it. But I did for this one because it sounded really cool and there was a discount. Mm-hmm. That game, I it's an 8-bit, top-down. You're, I, It's too... I just didn't care for it, right? I played through it a little bit, and I was like, okay, I'm kind of getting the whole... Figure this out, but then I just... I can never get anywhere with it. And I, I get frustrated with it, and I don't want to be frustrated when I'm playing games. I get frustrated at work. I don't want to be frustrated when I'm playing right, games. Exactly. That's why Forza is amazing. But <laughs> but a game like that comes out, and you have nothing that... You have no recourse. Yeah. You get 20 bucks you lost. Yep. This is 5 bucks. 5 bucks is a, a crappy lunch, honestly. Yep. I mean, you can go to... I'm not saying... Okay, for our listeners who love Taco Bell, I'm not saying it's crappy, but I'm just saying. Oh, come on, I'm getting go ready to, to go there right after we're done here. <laughs> you can go to Taco Bell and get a $5 meal, right? Or, and that's going to be gone like within a minute, and you're going to maybe not feel so good later. But you you're can go, me hungry. <laughs> you can go and download Forza Fast and Furious for 5 bucks. Play it for as long as you literally want. If gamer score is important to you, you get a 1,000 mm-hmm. gamer score. And you get introduced to something pretty cool that you may not have taken a chance to look at before. Don't you think they need to do something with these DM, DRM rights? Like, uh, the, well, the, Steam the consumer has, needs to have some on type PC, of recourse. There is. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, on, on, on console too, right? If you if you if you make a digital purchase, this should be the easiest thing in the world. You have, let's say, like two to three hours. Mm-hmm. You can play the game, the unlock that you paid for, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, you should be entitled to return it and get your money back. There should be. So I believe Origin for sure does this. I think Steam does too. Where if you buy a game and you can play it for, I think, 48 hours or within that 48-hour time period, you can play it a certain amount of hours. I don't know what mm. the actual number is. 
But then you say, like, I don't want to play this game. I don't want it. I want a refund. They'll do it. Right. Let's be honest, though. They should do that I don't care about that because I'm an Xbox gamer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm just not a fan of this. You bought it. Now you own it. No refunds. Couple hours, you can't get through much in the game, but you can understand enough about the game to know if it's worth your money, right? Mm -hmm. And I should be able to return it and get my refund. And and even an added incentive for these companies that are making games, it will pressure them to make better games. Mm -hmm. Because if they know that their consumer can return their product, they're going to want to incentivize them to make a good game to keep their customers interested. Mm -hmm. It's just... and. Don't get me started on the physical copies because that's like, I know that there are machines out there that can copy discs, and that's why they don't. That really started in the PlayStation era, though, when you could just pop it into a computer and copy it. But it's so forward. much more advanced than it used to be back then, mm-hmm. and, and if somebody is willing to go the length to copy that, they, I mean, you can still pirate games. I mean, yeah, but I just there needs to be recourse for customers on these console games. That's why I think a lot of these games are falling off the shelf. And mm-hmm. I mean, who cares if you put out a product? It can't get returned. You got your money. All you have to do is just really good marketing. Mm-hmm. Then you don't have to make a good game, you know? Yeah. So So I do want to correct something real mm-hmm. quick. It is $10 for Forza Horizon ah. 2 presents the Fast and Furious. Still a good use of $10, in my opinion. And watch for it on a sale because it might go on sale for 5 bucks here or there. The other thing is that it's not only available on Xbox One. It is also available on 360. So if you're For the still same price. same price, so if you're still on Xbox 360 and you want to check it out, because Forza Horizon and Forza Horizon 2 are both on 360 as well. So anyway, but same question though: Would you rather lose ten dollars or would you rather lose fifty? And if you lose ten dollars, you still get a game, a decent game. And how much are you going to care about those ten dollars in relation to fifty or sixty that you could have lost? I had lunch yesterday at Panda Express and it was ten dollars. Mm-hmm. I'd have forgotten about that lunch since then, but I guarantee you that I would not have forgotten about Forza Horizon Presents Fast and Furious. Nice. Anyway. Adequate. (laughs) Uh, Anything before we get into Cloverfield that you've been entertained by recently? I know this was a long discussion. We kind of got to get a little bit into it, but... No, kind of going back to what we were saying about everything dropping at the same time. So I've been interested in watching the... People that are making that made American Horror Story are making American Crime Story, and they're doing it. Each season is a different American Crime Story. The fir- first season is the People versus O.J. Simpson trial. How are you watching that? So, I ha- I have cable, right? You and, traitor. Okay. When I was talking is, about our generation, is, no, you're no, like, no. you're not along. Yeah, we don't cut, we cut cords. <laughs> this is what I'm going back to saying, right? I'm not watching the series. I watched the very first episode. I recorded it off of AMC. I watched the very first episode. If I like the very first episode, I will continue to record the rest of the series. And once that whole series is recorded, I will go back and binge watch it. If I do not like the first episode... You just can't forget about it. I will forget about it. So it, it's all based on that first episode. The first episode I saw is very, very good. It's got a lot of stars in it. Very well acted. Um... It's just it's just a really good show. If you're into those courtroom drama, you know, based on true story type things, it it's very cinematic. They show, you know, like clips on TVs of, you know, the the actual footage back in the the 80s, but uh for the most part it's all cinematic. It's very well done. So it's worth a look if you're interested in the OJ case or were back then yeah. to see a I was in kindergarten, I think, when OJ when that case happened, and 
I I still remember this. I don't know why they did it, but when the verdict was announced, we were at recess or something. Yeah. And before we all came inside, we had to like line up to go back inside for recess to do the head count. They announced that OJ was acquitted. And people were like, yay, or we didn't know it. We didn't understand it. We didn't know what acquitted meant. Yeah. But, you know, as we grew up a little bit, I'm sure a lot of us, myself included, followed the OJ case to see what happened, you know, what transpired. and what It was just really odd. It was a very odd case, but very interesting, right? So Mm -hmm. to see a visual representation of that based on whatever we know Mm -hmm. so far, it's really well done. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Before I forget... I did want to say, because I think a couple weeks ago when I first started watching it, I kind of was a little ho-hum on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's gotten better. Still not amazing. Uh, it's worth looking if you like those characters like the Atom, Firestorm, mm-hmm. uh, White Canary. Uh, and I can't remember the other ones that are on it, but Captain Cold's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to put in a little bit of time, though, right. to really see Right. It. And honestly, if you want to get the full story, you kind of have to watch Arrow and The Flash Sure. From the beginning to understand what's going on. But speaking of which, if you're not watching Flash, good lord, you are missing out. That show is amazing. It is the best superhero show I've ever seen, like on wow. TV, for sure. Wow. It's just so good. And I'm not, I'm not even a Flash guy. Like, my nephew loves The Flash. I never really cared for the character. I When they said that they were going to do the TV show, I'd be like, okay. I wasn't really jazzed for it, but that show has proven its worth for me being not a DC guy for superheroes for sure unless it's Batman but for the ancillary heroes I never really cared about the Flash so what is it about the show that is is so compelling for you it's it's not the superhero character himself in regards to you know honestly the Flash. it's the writing of the show the acting the visuals are actually really good for a show and there's a lot of times where the show kind of strikes an emotional chord that you don't expect. Yeah. You don't see coming. So so we think we may have gotten to the point that DC has perfected I n- the, no. the type of sh- these types of shows. I wouldn't say they perfected it because Arrow has is not as good as it was. It's kind of got ups and downs. And they're only in the second season of Flash though, so they have not yeah. gotten to the same point that Arrow is yet. True. Um but Arrow so far has been really good. Or I'm sorry, Flash has so far been really good. And that DC Legends of Tomorrow is kind of eh. Mm. And I've only seen the first episode of Supergirl, but that looks interesting. Because they're doing a crossover episode with The Flash and Supergirl later on. So that'll be cool to see. Okay. Yeah, well, my point is that it gets us really excited for Daredevil. Right? In a different sense, yeah. Because, I mean, you know what to expect with Daredevil, especially because we had a first season already. You know the tone that they're going to go with. Yeah. You know what they're going to bring. Unfortunately, because we kind of know behind-the-scenes things. We know that there's going to be extra characters that are brought in on yep. it. And so I, I try to stay away from from that as much as I can because I, with Jessica Jones, I, I went in there kind of cold, not really knowing anything about the character, not watching the trailer. And then after I watched it, I watched the trailer, and I was like, man, they showed this in, in the trailer? There was this amazing scene, and I was like, if I would have seen that, I wouldn't have been impressed with that scene. Yeah. So... I'm glad that I I forwent the trailer experience for that, and I'm doing the same kind of thing with uh, Daredevil season two. The first season of Daredevil, I did watch the trailer, 
but this time it's going to be out so soon. Right. And we, I know what to expect. I don't want to know the story. I don't want to see any imagery. I just want to watch it when it comes well, out. Well, especially since it's all the content's going to drop at the same yeah. time. You don't yeah. really. There's no. To me, there's no point. Right. It's, but it is weird because, like with trailers, we've talked about this before too. But I'm really stepping back from what I used to be. I used to be like gung ho. I want to watch these trailers a million times. But it it would really ultimately spoil parts of the movie for me because yeah. I would remember a scene happening with a character and I would say, wait, that hasn't happened yet. Either they cut it from the movie mm-hmm. or this character's not dead. Or Which is really that. unlikely that they would cut it from the movie. Right? Right. It happens, but it, yeah. it's few and far between. So but yeah, that's... they just show too much in the trailers now. Yeah, and we've had that discussion already. We don't have to yeah, go through that again. So I'm seriously done now. Anything else? No, I'm good. <laughs> okay. So let's get into our discussion for this week with Cloverfield. This movie came out in 2000. Yep. Right at the beginning of 2008. It was like January. So it holds up pretty well for for being in 2008 movie because that was a decade later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because 2000. When did Iron Man come out? Was that 2008 as well, or somewhere along that seven, line? Seven, eight. Oh, it might have been. Yeah, it was seven, eight, or nine. One of those three. Yeah, I, I had to be around there. Yeah. I think I was. I think I think I was married by that point, or dating so it was probably 2009 when, when Iron Man came out but this movie was interesting because this was a time when found footage movies were kind of becoming a thing you don't really see it a ton anymore I think the last one I saw was Chronicle which was pretty decent for its own movie but different. yeah I mean this was like based off the success of Blair Witch Project and then maybe you could throw a paranormal activity in there I'm not sure on the timeline when that came out but you know, yeah. they're they're decently popular. Yeah. And so with this movie, Abrams wanted to kind of... He didn't direct it, but he was one of the producers. And he said, I want to kind of make an American take on Godzilla, literally. Right. Because in Japan, they've kind of got that market cornered as far as their Godzillas and everything like that. He said that he went over to God, uh, to Japan and there was Godzilla merchandise everywhere. Yep. It's such a big thing. It's like Batman here, right? Right. Such a big character. And so he he thought it was interesting that, you know, America did not have a, a version of Godzilla. So he kind of tasked the crew to make something similar that could be an American Godzilla, which is interesting to present it in the way that they did, being found footage, but also really compelling. Mm-hmm. Comparing it to the movies that we've watched so far in our kaiju series, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've seen the 2014 Godzilla and Pacific Rim. And this one I felt way more connection to than either of those two, and more terror, honestly, from the monster. I and I don't... I, it has to be because from the perspective of being on the ground with the people, yeah. because you don't really... In Godzilla, you get a little bit, but you don't get any in Pacific Rim. Well, you get a little bit with the girl. That was the best scene in the movie. Yeah. Because of Graham. Yep. I agree. You're down on the action with the characters, and it's it super you intense, and 
You know, to be honest, I, I haven't seen this movie since I saw, saw it in theaters, right? And it was a long time. It was, what, eight years ago now? And I really remember it being real shaky. And I, mm-hmm. and I thought it was interesting, but I didn't really care for it that much. This was so much better watching it on a, a smaller screen, screen, a smaller screen that I, I can see without turning my head. I can see the right. whole screen without turning my head. It was, I thought, filmed really well. There were shaky times, right? But the main parts of the movie that you were interested in seeing were filmed very well. And it was super intense. I was, I was freaked out. I mean, I totally forgot <clears throat> about the little, like, baby spore things that Same. come down. Yep. Same. They, they remind me of crabs a little bit in, like, with the claw. Yeah. They're like little parasitic creatures that, I mean, and that adds a whole new dimension of terror, right? Because you can see the, the big monster coming, right? But, mm-hmm. like, when they were down in the subway mm-hmm. and, you know, you don't know what to expect. You think you're safe, right? Because you're still alive. You can't hear anything shaking or see anything the rats like that. running around, though. I'm sorry. If you ever see a bunch of rats running like get that, out of there. you run the same direction that they are and faster, and you step on as many as you need to <laughs> to get that way. I was thinking about that when they were running. All those rats, there has to be something they were stepping on. Wouldn't that cause them to trip and fall and then get run over by rats? I, I don't want to be in that scenario. No, not at all. <laughs> this, what you, pacing of this movie. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the opening scene before we really get the explosion, or the the first time with that we something is out of the ordinary happens? Do you think that it was paced well, too long, too short for that party sequence? I thought the pace was was really well done. I I didn't think I know a lot of people say that the party sequence lasted too long. And I, I think the reason that they say it is because it probably takes up the good, like, 15, 20 minutes of the movie, and the whole movie in its entirety is probably an hour and 20 minutes, right? So mm-hmm. it's a really it's a short, short movie. movie. But I think in that short amount of time, you get a really good backstory mm-hmm. of the characters that are you going to be following. They're relatable. They're understandable. Yeah. I mean, how many times... I mean, you can relate to a going-away party or, you know, the emotional friend i like you type situations that happened that were really well displayed absolutely and i mean honestly the acting was good for for all these kind of people that you don't even really know who they are Mm -hmm. that you kind of form the the attachment to some of them because of like hud right he's he is your character hud is an interesting name because you know heads up display yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it was you you see things through his eyes, and then when he finally dies, it's kind of shocking in a way. But this movie doesn't pull any punches, really. Mm-hmm. Like we, one girl might have gotten out when that one that first helicopter that went up. Yes. So she's probably the only one that survived. Now we don't know if the the two main characters at the end actually survived or not. I'm assuming they died because of all that stuff was collapsing, but they could have survived. This show movie asks a lot of questions and it doesn't give you the answers and some people can find that being a a flaw or a fault but by the very nature of being found footage being one aspect of a story it's brilliant yeah you don't get answers you wouldn't you and you wouldn't right no one knows what this monster is where it Mm -hmm. came from what what it's doing no one you, you don't there's how many millions of people in Manhattan? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So just from one single perspective, this is exactly what you would expect to find. 
which I would love for them to be, for them to make kind of anthology movies that would kind of tell different perspectives of the same story. Yeah. So that's what I initially thought the sequel was going to be. It was going to be a different perspective of the exact same event, maybe in a cinematic way, maybe following a you know a, a governmental agency mm-hmm. or something like that. The political ramifications yes, and everything. Exactly, something like that. Um, so that's kind of what I expected, and that, I would have been okay with that too. I, I, I can't comment to the sequel yet because I haven't seen it. And so the movie that's coming out next week and we'll most likely be discussing as long as it's not rated R because this is a family-friendly podcast. But can't imagine is, why it would be rated R. But eh. then again, I can't imagine why they wouldn't rate the movie two weeks out before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so weird. So 10 Cloverfield Lane coming out next week. From what we know of that... It's a quote-unquote blood relative of Cloverfield. So we don't know if it's happening at the same time as the attack. Like maybe the attack happens and they go to the basement and maybe the monster's still alive, maybe? Or more monsters have showed up mm-hmm. and this is just in a completely separate part and we're seeing the environmental ramifications of the attack of these monsters. Mm-hmm. Or like the little crab creatures are probably still around. Could be, yeah. So in this movie... What did you think of the design of the Cloverfield monster? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like you know a dinosaur. It wasn't. It was like an amalgamation of a lot of different influences for sure. It was just a really big parasite. It was yeah. just a really big parasite. That's yeah, what I, I thought. That. And I mean, honestly, you, you can make it designed any way you want. You know what I mean? It, we don't know where it came from. So something that we don't know where it came from, we don't know what it would look like. It's just mm-hmm. whoever is interpreting it, what would make this monster terrifying, right? Its size. Mm-hmm. The fact that it drops its little parasites. So here's an interesting tidbit. I, I did watch, because I was wide awake, after the movie, sure. <laughs> I watched the extra features, okay. some of them. And in one of them, they were talking about this the monster. When it roars out, it's not roaring in anger like a Godzilla. It's actually like a baby crying out for its mom because it's lost. Oh, so that's a baby. That's kind of what they're going with the intent. Oh, man. That that is not the monster of monsters. That is like a lost child calling out for his mom when he's yelling and he's scared. Fell out of the nest and landed on Earth. Yeah. So the the whole intent of the monster was that it's not attacking to be vicious. It's just it's lost it's huge. It doesn't know what's going on. It's being attacked. It's defending itself. It's trying to figure things out on its mm-hmm. own. Because it really, you don't really ever see it being super aggressive on its own without being fired upon or anything like that, right? But we don't really know how the whole attack and everything began. But that's that was an interesting tidbit, I think, from the the extra feature there. One of the things that I always found, like, not scary, but surreal not surreal i can't i don't know what the word is but when he throws the head of the statue yes. of liberty down and yep. the head itself looked fake mm-hmm. right but the implication yes and it was very realistic of it coming down how it would something that size if you mm-hmm. were right next to it would feel if mm-hmm. it hit next to you i mean it's such an iconic symbol it is and then just to kind of look at it be like that's the head of the Statue of Liberty. And then everybody just stands around taking pictures with their phone. Mm-hmm. And then you had the scene later when they're trying to cross the bridge. There was a helicopter with a spotlight on it, and it was headless. Yep. 
I mean, you've been to New York, right? Yeah. You, you've crossed probably the Brooklyn Bridge. I've walked over it numerous times. You can put yourself in that location. Yep. And that makes it a lot more surreal. Absolutely. And the other thing was, so this came out in 2008 after the September 11th attacks. Mm-hmm. And there was one scene in particular that really was like a call to that. I think yep. it was the Empire State Building probably got taken down. There was a big dust cloud that came out about it. Yep. And then people were just like wandering around afterwards. And like, there was like even a were. line. There was even a line in the movie when they were going. When the when the, is it it's, another attack? Yeah, is this mm-hmm. another terrorist attack? When they were going up to the uh, the rooftop to see? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then and then yeah, when the smoke comes down, lots of images from, you know, September 11th. And maybe that's why it's more terrifying. Because we have those real life memories of what that actually happened. What and. I mean, to to bring the call back to that is mm-hmm. kind of, it's so surreal. Absolutely. I mean, especially when you consider that this is a monster, this is fictitious, but at the same time, you never know what's super deep in the ocean. I think there was that call out, like, mm-hmm. we haven't even looked, you know, in the depths of the ocean yet. There could be something down there. Who well, knows? doesn't he say something about, like, the if the the plates would... Collide and Did crack. we talk about Pacific Rim scenario? And, and somebody from whoever <laughs> ended up making Pacific Rim was watching. And, yep. So this movie is kind of like you could call it Pacific Rim Origins, right? There you go. In a way. Yeah. The very first kaiju. Yeah. I mean, you you could you could have put it in that universe. I'm glad they didn't. But this is what you should have done. This is what you should have done for a. A first Pacific Rim, right? Mm-hmm. Make this the first movie, Cloverfield. Make the second movie, okay, this isn't the only one. There is a mother. There are other yeah. monsters. What are we going to do? Start making options. Yeah. Following a governmental agent, like you said. Yeah. And, and it then, could be cinematic. It doesn't have yeah. to be found footage. You know, it could yeah. reference some of the found footage. You can even, make it different styles. You can interact from a different angle with the same characters mm-hmm. at one point, even as a kind of like a callback. You well, know, I mean, you, you could even put because it's a governmental agency or something like that that has the footage. The first movie is on the screen at points and referencing it directly because that's what it is. Yeah. There was there's a lot of potential that they could take. They still could, even with doing Ten Cloverfield Lane being just something from a different perspective or an ancillary area, I still think that, man, they, they would be so good mm-hmm. if after the events of Cloverfield they say, okay, we got to do something. Maybe maybe there's something similar that happens in Paris or London, you know, and they come together to form this alliance or whatever. Fight again, you know, for humanity. Yeah. Fight. Yeah, definitely. Instead, we got Pacific Rim. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe... And we we didn't know a lot about Cloverfield when it was coming out. Mm-hmm. We didn't we don't know a lot about Ten Cloverfield Lane until a, like a couple weeks ago that we knew that it was just coming Which, out. Do they could be working on something. This do you think could, that's part of the mystique of yeah, why we like Cloverfield. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but but I mean, they could just be doing another portion of the story in the same universe, maybe around the same attacks, and then be building up, mm-hmm. you know, to give you all of this backstory. Mm-hmm. And I mean, eight years is a lot. In between, you know, Cloverfield and Ten Cloverfield Lane. So, I don't know what happened in between there. I would have preferred that these be released maybe closer together, a couple years apart, and then build up to a big movie maybe now. But maybe they're just realizing how valuable and how how captivating Cloverfield was. Or do you think it's because Star Wars came out? 
and J.J.'s name is attached to this movie, and they're going to try to write on on the Star Wars cachet that he gets. You could put on the trailer or the advertisement from the director of The Force Awakens. You know, executive produced by the director of The Force Awakens. I mean, anything bad robot, J.J. Abrams now is hot. Mm-hmm. It's that, so hot, so right, hot right now. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie is interesting because... There were actually a few people that I recognized that came to be bigger stars. HUD, he's yep. a, he's in his own comedy show now, and he's been doing uh, really well. But this movie cost $25 million to make. Mm-hmm. Isn't, that, isn't that incredible? Yeah. I mean, you can tell when you're looking at the monster, most of the time was at night, and when it was in daylight at the end, yeah, you could tell that this is... But, but it still wasn't needed bad. a lot of CG to do the buildings falling, to mm-hmm. film parts of the uh, scenery in New York... Uh, you know, the, the Statue of Liberty, things like that. Mm-hmm. $25 million? That's pretty good. Did That's... you see the budget for 10 Cloverfield Lane? Uh-uh. $5 million. $5 million. They're going to make in that In 2016. Back. They're going to make that back in a minute. That's how... These are your bread and butter movies. This is how you make it. You do these movies, consistent movies, low budget, appease, you know, the masses and get a really good return on your investment... And then you gear up to a big movie. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even matter. So this movie was a success, right? Because $25 million and domestically it made 80 mm-hmm. Worldwide it made 170 Right. But the fact that they didn't bring it back until right now with a yeah. kind of sequel. Mm-hmm. Eight is years crazy. is a really long time. Absolutely. But with found footage movies, we mentioned some of it before. So you got the Paranormal Activity movies. Uh, and the Blair Witch Project, which Cloverfield is number five on the found footage lifetime gross list. Uh, domestically, you've got Blair Witch number one, 140 million. Then you go to Paranormal Activity, then a Paranormal Activity three, then Paranormal Activity two, and then Cloverfield. <laughs> so interesting numbers when you look at them. The movie is really interesting, compelling. Again, if you get motion sickness. Watch it on a smaller screen, maybe. Yeah. I think the smaller screen helps for sure because, like you said, when you saw it in theaters, you're like, Gah. yeah, it's just it's too much when you have to watch it on a screen that you can be a considerable distance away and you can see the entire screen without having to turn your head mm-hmm. at all, and you will be fine. I watched it on a 40 inch screen and I barely have to turn my head and it was still fine, mm-hmm. and I was laying down. It's okay. It was a lot better than I remember it. Yeah, in theaters it was awful. Yeah, and that's one of the things, too. Like, this movie, I don't think I have seen since the theaters, either. I, I've owned the Blu-ray for a long time, mm-hmm. but opened it yesterday. Like, I broke the seal yesterday to watch it. That's funny. My wife asked me, like, did you buy that? I was like, no, I've had this for a really long time. <laughs> but it's an interesting movie, and it's it's one that, you know, not a lot of people... It, it's kind of a cult level at this point. It's yeah. It's... It's not to the Marvel or Star Wars or anything like that level of notoriety, but I think if people go back and watch it, especially leading up to 10 Cloverfield Lane trying to figure out, okay, what is Cloverfield? If they go back and watch this movie, they're going to go see 10 Cloverfield Lane just to see what is this. Mm -hmm. Because 10 Cloverfield Lane definitely looks cinematic in, in the filming structure. It does not look found footage at all. No, not at all. So... I I'm so that'll be really cool. Yeah, I don't know what direction they're gonna take it. If it's a blood relative, it's got to be in the same universe, mm-hmm. right? So this event that we watch in Cloverfield did happen, okay? But 
what can they do with $5 million in a production budget? Obviously, the majority of the film is going to take place in that one little room. So $5 million is kind of crazy because John Goodman, I'm sure, got a big chunk of that because it's John Goodman. I'm he's he's a notable actor. So the other the other side of this is that number that's been released is just as false as the fact they haven't rated the movie. The fact that we didn't know this movie was coming out until two weeks ago. Maybe everything is so tightly kept mm-hmm. a secret at this point. This ten Cloverfield Lane is going to be a decent movie. I think regardless, I think it's going to be scary. And I think it's going to be directed and filmed real well, mm-hmm. regardless of if, if it's cinematic or found footage, bits of each, right? From the trailer, we can infer that it's cinematic. Right. But with everything that we don't know about this movie, this movie could be phenomenal because we have no idea what to expect. Right. And it's just going to be an amazing experience. It, it, it could go right back into New York City and the mother could be there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We have no idea what to expect. And what's what's interesting and crazy is in this day and age that we live in, for them to be able to pull it off, yeah, no kidding, for not for nobody realizing that there's this movie's coming out so late in the game. Yep, I love that. That's awesome. That's unbelievable. I mean, it's it's actually kind of impossible. I mean, how many people have to touch a movie for it to happen? How many people are involved in that movie? And all the social media and everybody else that's surrounding. When we think about it, this is bad robot. Mm-hmm. This is a very a big production company that's in the spotlight right now, thanks to Star Wars. Oh yeah, so it makes it even more impressive. Well, maybe that was maybe that made it easy because they were figured <laughs> bad robot. Radar. Everything was Star Wars over here. Yep. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna film this to. in the janitorial closet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're gonna go ahead and go into a bunker over here with a camera. You guys don't yep. mind anything over here because it has to take place mostly in that bunker for it to be five million dollars. Right, and there's not going to be many special effects. If that effects. number is real. Yeah. Yeah. And there's not going to be many special effects. It's all going to be practical. It's going to be stuff in there. Like, you get the sense from that trailer that it's just kind of, that's what it is. Yeah. It's interesting because $5 million is unheard of for this movie. To be, it's going to get an IMAX release. Yeah. It is going to make. So that's, so, so okay, so let's think about this. The, the type of equipment that goes into making an IMAX release combined with the salary of all your actors, because John Goodman's a big one, right? Mm-hmm. But we also have the girl, what's her name? Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's not a no-name. Yeah, she's not a no-name. She's been in Final Destination. She's, she's been in other stuff. That's got to be your $5 million right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it'll be very interesting to see. I'm very excited. Yeah. So that'll be it for this week. We, uh, I am on Twitter at Sith Nightmare. Alex is at D-O-U-E-1-H-1. He's on Xbox Live the same. I'm on Spider Jedi, the show, Entertaining Pod. That'll do it for us this week. We look forward to next week with 10 Cloverfield Lane. We hope that you have been entertained. Mm-hmm.